Hey everyone, editing Maisie and Claire here. We just wanted to pop in and give a trigger warning before we started this episode. As this episode is about mental health, there are heavy topics discussed. And we just want to make sure you are in a safe place to learn about these topics, such as death, aging, suicide, and self-harm. And we wanted to encourage you to check out the resources provided by our guest, Gina, in the description if you or someone you know is struggling. Okay, thank you for listening and enjoy learning from our fantastic guest, Gina. Hey everyone, welcome back. I'm Claire. And I'm Maisie. And this is Mom Jeans and Other Advice. Yeah, we got a very exciting episode today. We have a little guest here. We have Miss Gina. Yes. Do you want to introduce yourself? <laughs> Just kind of tell us what you guys do, what you do. Uh, sure. My name is Gina. I am a mom. I have four children. I'm married. And um, I am also a, a licensed clinical social worker and mm. I work in a role as a, um, a psychiatric clinician but I work in a program called palliative care mm. so I work with individuals who are living with life-limiting illness and oh, I do psychotherapy wow. with them oh wow um, yeah wow that's heavy yeah <laughs> yeah it, it's, it's, it's good work and I also have a background I'm actually a it's called the ACHP, which is the Advanced Certification Hospice and Palliative Social Workers. So I've worked in both, both hospice and palliative care. So, yeah. And then I've also worked privately. Yeah, I've worked privately as a psychotherapist in private practice, and I've also worked at you know a, a various other jobs previous to that. Awesome. Yeah. So, what kind of drew you into going into the mental health and that mental health field? Well, I actually had an undergraduate degree was in gerontology, which is the study of aging <laughs> and um, human human development and family relations. So the, the emphasis on the whole family unit and my specialty at that time was on, you know, the aged population or, again, folks who were living, living with um, at the latter part of their mm-hmm. life cycle. Yeah. Um, and that's always kind of been my focus, but then I decided to, I wanted to get a master's and I had considered psychology or counseling. Um, and I actually choose, uh, chose social work because I knew that I would need an LCSW, um, if I wanted to work like in hospice programs where hospice programs only recognize MSWs and LCSWs as, as, Mm -hmm as doing the the the, psych, the psychiatric or the psychosocial uh, piece of, of hospice. So, but in that journey, I went to Fordham University and got a, a master's in social work, but I knew that I absolutely needed to get experience in the psychiatric uh, profession because whatever whether you're working in medical social work whatever type of social work you do, you really need a background in, in psych. So I actually worked, um, I did an internship in college in my master's program at, at a state psychiatric hospital. 
I ended up working as a psychiatric clinician inpatient at a psych hospital. I also worked outpatient wow. psychiatric. Um, so I did all of I did that, and then I've also worked in other hospitals like oncology programs. So it's kind of a blend. And what's nice about my profession now is that I have a great strong psych history, and mentally ill people get sick, and um, when there's a family unit and someone in that family is sick, there's also very often someone within that same family or multiple people within that family that are struggling with mental illness. Mm-hmm. So it's good to have, um, I think it's a, it's a rounded blend for me. Um, and why did I choose that field? Um, mm-hmm. I guess that I kind of always knew probably from very young that I was, meant to be in the counseling uh, role or the helper role or the service, you know, professions was, I always had a very strong um, sense of empathy and concern for, for other people. So that's probably, it was a natural thing for me to flow into. Yeah. Wow. You have, wow, that is quite yeah. a background. You wear a lot of hats. <laughs> yeah, it sounds yeah. like. <laughs> Yeah, yeah. So it's all been very, very extremely rewarding. And, you know, one wonderful thing I heard a long, long time ago when I was you know, probably in your 20s is find your passion um, and you'll never work a day in your life. Yeah. So the wonderful thing about it is if, you know, you, whatever degree you're, you know, contemplating, um, it, you just have to make sure it's something, something you really look forward to doing. Because, you know, we all work, you know, 40 or, or, or plus years, and um, it's very important to be passionate about whatever you do. Mm-hmm. Definitely. How do you stay aware of your own mental health while you are helping others and, like, doing your job? Being a mom. And being a mom. <laughs> uh, and being a mom, yes. Um, one thing I can tell you is that <laughs> way back when, when I, you know, just got this degree, there are so many different fields of social work you can go into. And, you know, so school social work and younger populations came across, you know, opportunities. And I said, I definitely don't want to be working with children all day and then coming home at night and having to, not having the energy for my own children. Um, so I kind of decided that because, you know, children are, in the, and I, my teachers and, People that work with young children, they're amazing people. But I kind of knew for me that that would not give me balance. Um, mm-hmm. So that was number one. And in the in the work that I do, working in hospice and uh, palliative social work, there has to be a very um, strong uh, role for self-care. Mm-hmm. So in my work, I also tend to be very um spiritual as a person and really people sharing their feelings about end of life. It's very, very heavy. Uh, We lose a lot of folks. My patients are terminated when they go to heaven. Um, You know, so it's, it's, you know, in in the role of a psychotherapist, when you're going to be ending with a client, there's this whole phase called the termination phase. Um, And usually in other settings, um, someone may be leaving therapy because they improved or got well. And and sometimes, you know, people, even in end of life, do get better from a 
emotional point of view and a psychological point of view by having the therapy and being able to be led and guided through a real, really scary time in their lives. A lot of times old wounds come up. There's a lot of work that has to be done. Um, so my emphasis has to do more with, you know, grief, and my work has a lot to do with um, taking care of unfinished business, and that is emotional business for clients. That's, you know, uh, other more pragmatic things. A lot of it is about their ending relationships with their entire family. So it's really, again, working on termination and working on goodbye. And so in that role, uh, I always have to be very careful of my own feelings and, and attachment. So getting back to the fact that I'm spiritual, it's very satisfying for folks working in, in end of life um, when you see that a client has gotten to a greater place of peace and acceptance mm -hmm. regarding their end of life. And, you know, this might sound weird, but in my field there is such a thing, we call it a, you know, a good death. And a good death is when someone, the individual, is comfortable from a physical, emotional, spiritual uh, place as they're entering their, you know, the end of this life. And but that so that kind of refills your battery. That, that those amazing conversations that you have with people at the end of their life, they're incredible. I've learned so much from people that are, uh, you know, facing end of life, and and it's that piece of the work that actually refills my battery, uh, my my spiritual and interpersonal battery, and again the satisfaction that you are able to leave leave suffering or um, at least facilitate solutions. And a lot of times there are solutions. There are things that you can help facilitate them resolving, especially about unfinished business and relationships and them getting back together with people that have they've had issues with and, again, about saying goodbye and, and a, lot about, a lot of work on forgiveness of self as well as the other people in their lives. So those are the pieces of the work that refill me to, to be satisfied to know that you've actually, um, you know, helped people process that. And then from a more of a personal place, again, because I'm spiritual in my own, what I usually do before I even go to any session to see, and I do a lot of home visits, is, you know, I ask my higher power to go with me. Um and then at the end of my session, I ask my higher power, I say, you know, obviously I am an instrument, I am a servant, and, you know, but you are, you know, you are God. And, um, and, we, and so you're the ultimate healer. I'm, I'm an instrument, and now I'm giving this back to you. So that when you're leaving that house, you're kind of making a decision to transfer um, the fact is that one of the real difficult thing is there are a lot of things that you can't fix, right? Right? Can't fix someone. They can't. Get, they're not going to get better, or there may be situations in their life that are not going to get better. But it's again saying it's a, it's not my job to fix this. It's not one person's job, and even other caregivers. It, the nice thing about working in hospice and palliative care, you work with an interdisciplinary team. So you're not the only one supporting this person. So there are nurses and 
doctors and there are other, you know, maybe physical therapists or home health aides, and you realize you are all in it together, and now it's time for me to pass the baton on to the next person, like if it's a big road race, and we're all helping this person in a road race at a marathon, and everybody has a place. And what happens is when my patients decide to go on hospice, I have to discharge them, so we are working on goodbye because they're going into a new program. And so, um, yeah, that, that's hard. But, again, realizing that I don't have to be at all and I can't do it all, and now I'm passing it on to the next professional who is equally qualified to help with that, um, with, with that person's journey. And then there's a very big, huge piece about self-care, meaning taking care of yourself when you go home. Um, I often don't share my work with my family, right? You know, sometimes we say it was a hard day or it was a rough day. or, um, But because it's heavy work, and it's just about when you're home, just enjoy your family, enjoy your time together, try to have fun, take care of yourself physically, uh, exercise, you know, swim. I also, I am a writer, um, so I do, like, expressive writing, and I've actually written a children's book about grief, um, so that's satisfying as a hobby more than anything. Yeah, yeah. So, and then just basically sharing with my children. Sometimes my children don't want to hear about, um, <laughs> uh, how how would I say it, Christy? Um because end of life is hard for your typical person to uh, to want to face or want to talk about. Um, so, but if anything, I try to teach all of my children just to be honest and be authentic and be themselves and uh, uh, be a good person. You know, just be a good person. Be if you're a good human, then great things will happen for you. That's yeah. Yeah. So I know you said you don't you don't yeah. try to bring work home with you, but maybe your positive tactics. How do you think that's affected your parenting style? Just being aware and making sure that your kids are also doing well. Well, the most important thing, obviously, is embracing health, and I think I might be a little bit more vigilant than <laughs> than your typical parent. We've always been very. Um, very fastidious and making sure if, if there is a minor health issue to not ignore it, to take care of your body, uh, to take care of your body and your soul. Um, again, being available and talking. And if there's something that's bothering you, you need to talk about it and you have permission to feel it. Um, it's really important about, I guess, as a mom, I, as a therapist, um, you know, since they were very little, was giving them permission to feel um, things that have happened throughout their life that they are unhappy about, as typical kids do. They have tantrums and all that, and it's just, you know, well, you know, I'm, I'm sorry you're feeling that way, <laughs> right? Giving them permission to feel that way, and um, and then coming up with a solution to whatever problem it is. But I hope that all of my children have always my perception, I don't know about what their perception is, that I have always been very open to listening, um, to listening to whatever the problem is without jumping, to, you know, to conclusions and working out, you know, I'm looking at my daughter now, working, you know, making, coming together up, together with a solution to, to address whatever issue is going on. 
in their lives. Do you think that, Christy? Just working, being open, being open with your feelings, and, yeah. and and working together towards a solution. So, and again, as as a, I have three daughters and and one son. Um, as you know, as a woman, it's just about always being, always speaking your truth. Um, mm-hmm. You know, being being honest. And if there is anything that happens that is. Uh, Unjust. Um, you got to talk about it. You got to speak about it. You have to. Um, you have to. You have to name it, and you have to call it. Um, we've had some. I've had some personal experiences in my life that, you know, require you to to speak up and have a voice. And so I've shared those situations with my children so that they know that when somebody someone does something wrong, uh, you don't. You don't keep it to yourself. You don't. Uh, you don't want to become uh, silent and, and lose your voice. And and it's very difficult in the in the working world sometimes uh, for women. Uh, sometimes patriarchy still exists. <laughs> uh, and it's, it's <laughs> so it's just about being vocal and about being vocal about something that's not acceptable. Um, and and sometimes having to be very brave and courage and courageous um, when what you are saying maybe not be the most popular thing to, to 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 bring up, but you have to. So so awesome. Yeah, yeah. <laughs> that was that was so interesting to just hear like what how you've taken everything that you experience at work and bring it home in a healthy way. healthy in a healthy way. way. Yes. And it sounds like you've raised your kids to yeah. be very empathetic, strong people. Yes. So that's amazing. You've well, done, I hope not, I have. Not I can I, judge I, I off that. I I've been a mother, but it sounds like you've done an amazing job being a mom. So, well, thank you. We have a potential lawyer in our family. We have a. My oldest daughter is in the behavioral health field as a um, behavior analyst, and I. One of my daughters also wants to be a. Is a child psychology and what's her other major? I don't know. I don't know. Human development. So, but I can't, I can't take all the credit. My husband is also in, in the education field. So um, it's always about really talking through. Uh, We both really wanted to teach our children how to think, not what to think. Um, Just having an open mind and, 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 and being vocal. And being active, you know, my daughter. My daughter's looking at me now, like, <laughs> "What are you well, it talking sounds like about?" Sounds like that's a really like, combination you got going there. So we actually asked our followers on social media and Anchor to submit some questions to ask you. So we've gathered the questions okay. and divided them up into some categories. So the first one yeah. is a therapy category. And the first question submitted was. How do I find the right therapist for me? That is a very good question. Um, I think the most important piece is you all obviously you need to research the different modalities of therapy depending on what type of therapy you are interested in. There are like websites um, like Psychology Today or find a therapist, and these therapists have profiles based on what areas of expertise they have as far as different areas, you know, marriage, family, uh, 
sexual abuse, trauma. So you want to find someone who is versed in what your particular um, challenges might be. And then um, even exploring different therapy modalities, therapy modalities, um, you know, Someone might want a more directive therapist. Uh, other people might want one more humanistic and empathetic that will, you know, validate feelings and work towards sensitive issues. Uh, a very popular therapy, and I, you know, use a lot of them, are they're called the cognitive-based therapies, things like um, cognitive behavioral therapies. It's called CBT and um, uh, DBT and ACT, which stands for Acceptance and Commitment Therapy, they're all very much solution-oriented therapies, and it's all working on looking at your uh, thought process and recognizing we all as human beings uh, create our, our thought process from when we're very young, but sometimes we may have, um, we may develop unhelpful thinking habits. So uh, CBT and the cognitive therapies are more about education and then about working, your therapist working together with you on a solution to address barriers and how you can attain goals. Um, but again, it would be just looking at some of these profiles of the different therapists and what their styles are, what their background is, and doing a little research about all the different therapy modalities to see what might work for you. Like there are specific modalities for like trauma, um, and anxiety and depression. So um, it's about doing some research. You just don't want to go into a therapeutic relationship blindly. Uh, you want to get a background of what the modalities are and what the therapist, what they're offering, and then really what their style is as well. So I I've personally have been to a few therapists in my life, and um, I can def I never thought about that uh, therapists have different like techniques, modalities. You said. Mm -hmm. um, but uh -huh. I definitely, now that I'm reflecting on my previous therapy experience, <laughs> that has definitely come, been true. Big aspect. Big aspect. Yeah, how thank you. effective each therapist yes. was. <laughs> yeah, and sometimes you have to try it on a few times before you get the right fit. Yeah. You know, if you ever go to therapy once and it was a disaster, you say, well, that's, that, I mean, that's just that experience. That doesn't mean all therapy is like that. It may be that you may not have had the right modality. You might have had the same the right personality with that other person um and you just have to sometimes try a few times before you find the right fit yeah definitely definitely so our next submitted question was i don't feel like therapy is working for me what are my other options okay um again i would say if that therapist is not again based on their experience if that is not working um maybe looking at another therapist, but again, doing your research and fine tune about what specifically you want help with. And then you need to research a therapist that has expertise because the therapy, you know, therapists there, they go and they have all these different trainings and these different backgrounds. So it'd have to be, again, what their specialty is. And again, sometimes it's even personality. So you can go to someone who has all these great modalities and exactly what you want, but, you know, it's just not clicking. So it would be about trying um, a different therapist. However, there are other ways besides psychotherapy to work on um, 
your mental health as well as your physical and emotional wellness because all of these these three things go together. Um, and there are some people that say, I can't go into a room and I can't talk about about this and I can't open up to somebody and this is all very challenging for me. Um, so maybe psychotherapy is not something that works for them. But, again, based on what their issue is, and, again, knowing that it's mind and body go together, that maybe pursuing another um, body-oriented type of therapy like yoga, um, learning mindfulness. Um, there actually are CBT. There are apps now. There's, you know, if you go on Instagram and Facebook, I've seen apps for different doing, you know, therapy with yourself, uh, <laughs> reading self-help books. Um, there are things like, you know, Reiki and uh, acupuncture. And, again, Reiki and acupuncture, they call them the energy therapies. It's about every emotional trauma that we have ever experienced takes residence in our physical body. Um, so some, again, the body-oriented therapies like that are working on um, taking that energy or in, in Eastern um Eastern medicine, it's called chi, and that's what acupuncture is, is actually people take these little needles in their body, and then the negative chi is released. So, again, if talk therapy is not something that you feel works for you after you've given it a few tries, I would say finding a way to incorporate, you know, health and wellness into your life um, and uh, again, uh, in addition to different therapies, exercise, eating well, uh, nutrition is so incredibly important in your overall wellness. So it's about looking um, at everything, looking at the big picture. And then certainly there's nothing uh, better than a, than a trusted friend. Sometimes it's hard because we don't want to alienate our friends if we're struggling with mental health. But the most important thing also is that if anyone is ever dealing with such significant sadness and despair, um, you know, reaching out, they have, like I know that in Maine we have, it's called a warm line. So it's a mental health warm line. Um, so it's, people on the phone 24-7 that people can talk to if they're just having a rough time or a rough patch. Obviously, if someone is in a state where they're feeling significantly, uh, you know, hopeless and, and have thoughts of harming themselves, obviously calling. There's a 24-7, you know, main crisis line, but there's also national suicide hotline. Um, and, again, other hotlines for, you know, sexual assault survivors. There are you know, many, many, you know, agencies and people out there that want to help. But, you know, reaching out sometimes could be a big challenge because um, maybe of a, you know, a bad prior experience. But um, I would say keep trying because you don't ever want to give up on yourself. Because that, that, that's the worst thing, obviously. And unfortunately, we know that some people really, really struggle and they don't feel that they can reach out to friends, and they do give up on themselves, and this is when we see really horrible uh, despair and, 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 and suicide. And, um, you know, suicide is obviously it is a permanent solution to a temporary problem. So remember that whatever's going on in your life can be so devastating and tragic, but um, 
there are solutions and there's a way of getting through that. Um, yeah. yeah. So yeah, that's a, you got a pretty good point of view on life. It seems like so, but you kind of help segue into our next kind of category of mental health with talking about like different aspects and different ways of helping and you don't have to go to therapy, but it's good to try and try different aspects, different people, which is making inspiring right. me to go back to therapy, honestly. <laughs> but um, and actually, you know, go ahead. <laughs> I'm sorry. One of the things that I didn't include was really sometimes if therapy doesn't work, there are a lot of agencies where there are peer support groups, and yeah. and the peer support movement is huge. Um, mm-hmm. Some, sometimes, you know, again, depending on if it's substance abuse, there's, you know, AA, there's NA. Um, there's so many different, you know, organizations out there that also can help. And, you know, going to different groups for whatever your issue is also can be helpful if one-on-one therapy is not your thing. So I just wanted to mention that. Oh, absolutely. And I think that's such a good perspective to have because I know going to a therapist can be kind of scary and daunting at the face of it. So being able to just be with a group of like-minded peers to like talk about things, I think is a good segue into mm-hmm. getting like more help. So that's definitely really important right, to right. talk about that. So thank you. Yeah. Um, but moving on to our next kind of category, mental health, if you just want to give what a quick definition kind of idea of what you think what you believe mental health is and maybe what the cause of it is or like what a good mental health is what yeah, a yeah. mental health mental is. health or mental illness you mean mental, what health. mental health is or men- <laughs> mental health or okay you can so, explain what the difference is well right yeah so you know yeah. mental health is your again your body your mind um Spirit, it, it's all of those things, and it's your ability. Um, we are social beings as human beings, and our mental health depends so much on um, our integration with, with, with other humans and, and being connected. This is how we have survived as a species. So, you know, mental health is really your ability to regulate what's going on in your head to establish relationships with other people, you know, family and, you know, friends, community members and whatnot, and to be able to have a a life where you can take care of yourself, um, where you can... um, get the things that you need, right, because there are our, our, our basic needs, which are, you know, they call them lower-level needs, which is, you know, the things that everybody needs, which is, you know, food and water and shelter, and those are lower-level needs. We all need those. Um, but, but then, you know, higher than that is, is love and belonging and connectedness. And there's a huge piece of mental health that is um, – Sometimes we feel estranged from other people, and we don't feel that we can connect with other people, and it and it and it wounds people terribly. Um, so you know, mental health is an individual's responsibility, but it's also a society's responsibility. In that, whoever we are, um, it's important to just to think about what your what the other person walking down the street could be going through, and and to be kind. 
and to be, you know, loving and accepting of everybody. Because if we all worked towards a cultural mental health, um, I think that we as a society would be doing, you know, a lot better. So, again, mental health is your ability to make get your basic needs met and then, you know, your higher level needs. And then, obviously, even you know, even higher than that is, you know, again, a connection. Um, it, you know, not everyone has a connection with something bigger than themselves. But, again, it could be a passion. It could be a religion. It could be something bigger than themselves that makes them feel that life is worth living, that I as an individual have a purpose in this life, that I belong on this earth, that I belong in this universe. And um, so, you know, aspiring for, again, uh, that, that connection. And we all have to create in our own minds what our purpose is, what we are meant to do here, and in order to really reach what we call our higher our highest self we need all of those things underneath to kind of fall in line so when we get glitches which i'm going to say every human being runs into glitches we run into barriers people hurt us um, people wound us it's about trying to not give up again on ourselves and to seek the help that we need so that we can have that balance in our life between what we're thinking, what we're feeling, and what we're doing. Um, because those are the three components is first we think things, then we feel them, and then we can change how we feel by changing how we think and changing what we do. So the doing is really critically important and us making a commitment to ourselves that I, we're, we're feeling all this, you know, pain, but we have to do something different because what we're doing right now is not working. So it's an individual's responsibility to constantly work on their mental health and, and you know, creating that, you know, balance. Yeah. The, our next question is, how do I know if I am unwell? How does someone know if they're unwell? Okay. Usually people know when they're unwell is if there is a big, um, I'm going to call it a big yuck, that there's this big yuck in their life. Okay. Something emotionally, physically, pain. You know, pain is, uh, pain is, is, and I'm talking about physical as well as emotional pain, that is our fire detector that something is wrong. Okay, we all have it. So pain can actually lead us to recognize something is wrong. And then we have to say, what is this pain? You know, this is physical, this is emotional. Um, I don't feel well, I, I don't have energy, I don't feel happy. That's pain, that's emotional pain. And it can be all balled up as, as, as physical pain and, and, and suffering. And um, so if you're not feeling that everyday life is um, easy, that you found that life is a struggle or that it's challenging, then that means we're all, you know, you're dealing with some degree of, of pain. That fire detector is trying to tell you 
Something is wrong, whether that's anxiety, whether that's depression, whether that's, you know, rage or extreme fatigue. Your body is saying something is not jiving here. Um, So it's about listening to your body and being kind to your body and getting it checked out Mm -hmm. and, you know, going to a doctor um, or, you know, a professional to say, I need help with this or I want to explore what my problem is so that I can feel better because I don't like having this feeling. Yeah. Yeah. I really like that metaphor of um, like the fire alarm going off. That's like, I feel like that's a really good way to describe it. Yeah. And I, I know sometimes like, I feel like I can see my friend's fire alarm going off and they don't, they don't hear or see it. And so how would I be able to help my friend out when I can see that fire alarm going off? And maybe they don't yet. The most important thing is, is really to not be directive, but is to ask them open-ended questions. Because you can say, um, do you feel well? Something like that. And they'll say, yes, and they'll shut you off. Mm-hmm. Right? So if you ask open-ended questions, um, even, you know, being empathic and saying, you know, I'm sensing that that something is wrong and I'm concerned about you. How are you feeling? Then your friend is more likely to say, ah, you know, someone noticed and someone is empathetic and someone cares and maybe I can trust this person and maybe I can share. Or if you are directive, and again, we all, unfortunately, we think we're helping um, but if we point out directly what we see going on, that feels like a judgment to the person who you're delivering it to. Um, and they may feel that you're, they're being judged or that you don't care or that you're comparing them to other people or whatnot. Because, so that gets a little sticky mm. when we try to do direct confrontation. Yeah. Again, using empathy mm. as, as, the, as the way to open the door saying, you know, you're my friend and I'm really worried that, you know, I haven't, you know, see, haven't seen you smiling lately or, you know, I'm really concerned and I'm worried that, you know, you haven't been, you know, showing up or answering my calls. Um, I'm really worried about you. What's going on? How can I help? Asking open-ended questions versus saying, are you mad at me? Are you mad at me? No. Then that's, you're going to get one answer. Yeah, and there's going to be no, down. and then they're not going to shut down. Yeah, that's really helpful advice. You know, being in college and just being a person in general, I feel like we've all been through that where your friend definitely needs some help and you just don't really know how to go about it because you don't want to, like, offend them or have it shut down or yeah. anything like that. Right, right. Yeah, and so that kind of goes into our next question. Um what would be your biggest recommendation for college kids about their mental well-being? Biggest recommendation about their mental well-being. Um, like how to help it. How to help their mental well. I know that on, on the campus there are um, helping resources there. I know, at least I think, in, at UMO as part of there's the health center. There's also most age, most colleges, and I'm going to say almost all of them, have counseling centers. And I know that most of them are all part of the, you know, campus life and guiding, um, you know, 
students to identify what their areas are and what they need help with. So it would be like looking for counseling. Um, the challenge that most people right now are dealing with is, you know, mental health shortages. Oh, you know, well, I can't go back until next week, or there are no openings at this therapist or that therapist. Um, so number one, if anyone is feeling significant despair and if anyone is feeling like life is not worth living or that no one cares or that what I'm doing doesn't matter and they're feeling that life is so dreadful that they're thinking of ending their life, they need to call crisis. Okay, mm-hmm. again, it's a it's 888-568-1112. Every it's 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 a it's a toll free number um, to get help in every region in Maine. Um, there is an agency that does crisis work, so they would probably, if you called them, would talk with you. And if you said that you thought you were going to harm yourself, they would say, "Go to the emergency room, and we will meet you there." So someone will meet you there and screen you at the emergency room, or they could potentially go to your house or, um, you know, depending on where you're at. Um, but the most important thing is is, is reaching out mm-hmm. um, because hopelessness is, is a place where people don't recognize um, that there's help. When, when someone is feeling really hopeless or helpless and despair. They don't think anyone cares, um, but there are people that care, and there are lots of resources um, to help. So it would be about doing your best to, to reach out to, to get that help. Yeah. Well, thank you so much today for coming and sharing all these resources. Like, I've definitely known there's resources out there, but not as an abundance as you've mentioned today. Yeah, definitely. And all the different aspects of help, whether it be online peer counseling or therapy and the the depth of therapy. I had no idea there were so many branches. But thank you so much. Yeah, there's so many different, yeah. But thank you so much for joining us today, Gina. And to our listeners, we hope you learned as Yeah, thank Thank you. you. (laughs) To our listeners, I hope you learned as much as we did. Please remember to follow us on Instagram, Mom Jeans and Other Advice. Uh, You can get updates there on all the topics we'll be doing and able to follow along with us as we continue to continue this journey of gaining knowledge. Um, If you have a topic you'd like to hear, our mom that you know that would give good advice. Um, or you have a question you're dying to get answered, you can submit all of those in our link tree in our description or in our Instagram bio. And again, Gina, thank you so much for joining us. You're welcome. Awesome. Thank you. Super informative. Glad and to thank help. you for everything you do for us in our mental welcome. health community. Take care. All right. Take care. Bye-bye. Bye-bye.